to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I am the Vice President of Business Development at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On this episode, our guest is Nathan Vanderplatz, the City Administrator for the City of Lenox, South Dakota. We will be discussing how municipalities serve citizens through water distribution and wastewater collection. Nathan is a committed lifelong learner, holding a Bachelor of Arts degree in Political Science from Dork College in Sioux Center, Iowa, and a Master's degree in Public Administration from Iowa State University in Ames. Nate and his wife Shauna are parents to Keegan, as well as two dogs. When not at work, Nate enjoys hunting with his German short-haired pointers, fishing by boat or ice, cooking wild game, and cheering for the Iowa Hawkeye football team. Nathan, welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. All right, Nathan Vanderplatz, welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. Thanks, Brian. Let's talk about the city of Lenox. Describe the city of Lenox to our listeners who don't know anything about it. Uh, so Lenox is a, a, just an awesome hometown community just south of Sioux Falls. We're about 15 minutes from Sioux Falls, uh, a community of almost 2,500 people. Um, our, our guess is 2,500 by this point after the census and a couple of years of growth. So... Um, just a, a great little town, uh, big uh, industrial base in uh, steel and metal. Uh, so Sioux Steel has their operations are all here. Uh, and Wilson Trailer has uh, a manufacturing plant here as well that's currently being expanded to twice its uh, current size. So um, yeah, just a, a great town. And uh, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons we wanted to be here was um, it's, it's a small town. My wife and I grew up in a small town, uh, but it's also... Uh, you know, it's 15 minutes from everything you could possibly want or need in Sioux Falls. So, uh, you know, people are able to find work there if they need to and uh, commute up. So let's talk about your role as the city administrator. How long have you been here and what is the role of the city administrator in the city government in Lenox? So I've been here uh, four years this month, uh, which it doesn't really seem possible. Uh, it, it feels like just yesterday I started here. Um, uh, although the first six months lasted quite a while, I was still commuting from Iowa an hour each way every day, and uh, that that was a long six months. So maybe maybe uh, maybe with that it continued to feel like eight years. But uh, four years I've been here, and uh, you know my role here is really to just uh, administer um, the affairs of the community. Uh, it's to uh, do long range planning on financial needs, for example. Um, make sure that the council has what they need uh, in terms of materials and policies. Uh, recommend policies, um, and, and uh, you know, I, I think everybody's job description probably has this, but you know, other duties as assigned. Uh, now I'm typically assigning those things to myself, but right. um, you know, there are things that come up every day. Um, snowplows, you know, oh, we got a snowplow issue that needs to be uh, problem solved. Uh, now I'm not going to help anybody with the mechanics of a snowplow. Uh, but there are things that come up every day that need to be fixed uh, and uh, and worked on that that end up on my desk eventually. So, talk about the form of government. So there's a couple of different forms of government. One's a city administrator, and then you have your strong council. What what does that look like in Lenox, and what you know why why that here? Yeah, so we've got an aldermanic form of government under South Dakota Code, which uh, is essentially a uh, strong council uh, form of government. Um, what that means here is we have uh, a, a mayor elected at large uh, by, by all the voters, uh, and that, that position is very much administrative, procedural, 
um, keeps things moving in the right direction. That that's you know our mayor is Stacy Duchesne. She's who I depend on for um, you know leadership and guidance on moving things in the right direction. Um, and then you've got two aldermen from each of three wards here in town that are elected by the residents of those wards. <clears throat> About uh, 15 years ago, um, Lennox was one of the communities that decided to go with a city administrator. Um, now there are some towns in South Dakota that have a city manager like Yankton, Mitchell, Brookings, Aberdeen, Pierre. Uh, that's a different form of government, very similar positions. So we all still communicate. We all have essentially the same positions, uh, but different responsibilities and authorities under whatever the city charter might be for those communities. So um, that city administrator, uh, like, like me, is responsible for taking care of everything citywide. So when we talk about everything, what are the departments that fall under your purview in the city of Lenox? Uh, you know, the stuff that people see the most, uh, streets, police, uh, water and wastewater, uh, those are the big ones, but also building services, code enforcement, finance, um, the library, parks and recreation, ambulance. Um, uh, yeah, the, we have a fire department that's not run by the city, but we do uh, contribute financially uh, and work closely with them on a number of issues. Um, and then anything that, that might come up otherwise, there, there's a baseball committee that I'm going to be a part of. Now I, I am not a baseball guy <laughs> and everybody on that committee knows that I'm not a baseball guy. Uh, but I, I happen to be in a position where I have, you know, some of the know-how, some of the technical expertise to help with grants, some of the financing, some of the, you know, the IRS and state filings, those kinds of things that have to be done. So, um, it, it really is anything and everything under the sun. Uh, you know, it, it could be projects that are going on, you know, a big Boynton Avenue street project, street and utility project this past year. We got a huge project coming up the next two years on Central Basin 4. Um, economic development fall, falls under my, my hat as well. So uh, anything, you know, in a town our size, it, it, it could be anything. Well, and that's what I think is interesting and why I wanted to talk to you for the podcast is McGuire serves a lot of customers in this, this range of community. And I think a lot of people don't realize all the things all these essential services that people take for granted that have have to run somewhere and be decided on and actions have to be taken and things have to get done. And that's really the job of the city administrator. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I, I would like to, you know, if, if we're not being noticed and the stuff is still getting done, uh, we're, we're doing it right. You know, if, if water is still coming out of your kitchen faucet, your toilet's still flushing, uh, your street is plowed when you wake up on, Christmas morning, whatever it is, if it's getting done, you're not noticing us doing it and it's just happening, that, that, that's a pretty good place for us to be. That's where we like to operate. So, you know, we deal in water, in water tanks. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about water and sewer. And the reason is I think a lot of people take those services for granted. When you turn on your faucet and you get clean water, or like you said, you flush your toilet, those things just happen. But I want to talk about how they happen and how you plan for it and, you know, all of those things. So, what is the responsibility of a water and sewer department with inside a city? Uh, you know, the, the first and most important responsibility is public health. That, that's what water and sewer is all about. Um, you know, if you go back through, um, you know, uh, two, three hundred years ago, um, or, you, you know, go further back for all I care. You, you go back in all of history. Um, a lot of the illness that we would see in the human population, especially in cities, came from a lack of clean drinking water and good sewage facilities. 
Um, you know, the Greeks and Romans got some stuff right early on. Um, but if, you know, you look at, I, I, I remember, uh, Monty Python, you know, the Monty Python movie, uh, where they're walking through the streets and there's bring just, out your dead. Yeah, bring out your dead. Yep. Um, you know, it, bubonic plague was part, that was part of the plague, you know, the, the, the lack of, um, lack of clean facilities. Um, and so that, that's the, the top priority uh, when we're talking about water and sewer is, is the protection of public health. Uh, and then we get to environmental health um, and economic development. And, uh, I mean, you name it, there's, there's um, utilities, especially water and sewer. Uh, water in particular is the stuff of life. Um, life does not happen anywhere without water. You, know, you look at the, the Mars missions. You look at all of our, all the NASA work. Uh, around finding water elsewhere. There's a reason for that. It is the stuff of life. And uh, if you get it right, it, it, it goes really well for your community. So what you're telling me is it sounds like that water and sewer pretty much rank right up there is one of, if not the number one thing that's important to a city like Lenox functioning properly. Yeah, it, it's probably the number one thing. Without those things, we don't have a community. Let's talk about who makes that happen. So what, what does the water and sewer department within a city of 2,500 people look like? Uh, you know, it looks like uh, for us, one person, believe it or not. Wow. Um, you know, it used to be two. Um, and uh, through a number of efficiencies, and we have, you know, other public works staff that help out when they need to. Right. Uh, we have some seasonal staff that help. Uh, but by and large, it's our utility superintendent uh, who is responsible for making all of it work without us noticing. Um, so our, our guy, Kyle, he's been with us for, uh, two and a half years. I think he came to us right in the middle of COVID. So right when that was starting. Yeah, so up. about two and a half years. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been with us that, that time has been great. We've, we've been you know, tracking certain metrics. We've got performance management systems set up, uh, working on I and I on the sewer system, so on and so forth. So, which is a topic for another day. That, that, <laughs> that's probably a podcast all on its own. Uh, but you know, it's, um, I, I would like to say that there's a typical day for him, but but there really isn't. You know, uh, this time of year especially. We so at our sewer plant, our wastewater plant, we've got an, an open lagoons, open treatment system, mm -hmm. which means when it's 50 below wind chill, we got problems. Mm -hmm. So Kyle spent a good portion of Christmas weekend at the wastewater plant, keeping it operating, making sure stuff wasn't freezing up, making sure equipment was operating correctly, um, and you know. All day, every day, that's monitored remotely as well. So, you know, if he's um, if he's on vacation somewhere, he's still able to check in and look at where things are at and how it's working remotely. Um, Let's talk about the yearly budget. So, to deliver water and sewer, and this is a thing that I think a lot of people take for granted too, is your tax dollars go to providing these services. What does the budget for that look like in Lenox? And then, what kind of what are the assets that it takes care of? Yeah, you're looking at probably three quarters of a million in water and sewer each, so probably a million and a half together uh, for us to operate the system. Um, and that's coming from user fees, of course, and, and so on and so forth. Um, now that's taking care of um, replacing fire hydrants. It's taking care of uh, uh, fixing valves, um, locating leaks, which, I mean, if, if we need to call in a trailer to... Uh, sonically locate a leak. Uh, we, that, that costs some money. Salaries, benefits, you know, those kinds of things, electric, gas, all, all that stuff. Um, 
in our case, we also buy our water from Lewis and Clark Regional Water System. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it pays for purchased water as well. So you don't have to treat your own water, which is another expense. Correct. In fact, we just uh, just last week wrapped up the demolition of our old water treatment plant. Uh, we have we don't have wells anymore. We have no need for a water treatment. We don't even have a permit to treat water. Uh, so that building hasn't been used in six, seven years. Uh, I, I, no further use for it. So um, salvage a few things from it, and that, that's about it. But Yeah, because people, I think, don't realize. So you buy water, and then you have to store it in elevated tanks, which Lennox has two of. Two of them, yep. And then you distribute it. Then you collect it after it's been used, and you treat it. And that's being done by one person. One person. One person and a heck of a plant. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's got to take a lot of coordination to make sure all of that happens, like you talked about earlier, seamlessly so nobody knows. Without people noticing, yep. Yeah. You'll, see, you'll see our guys out and about. You know, they'll be exercising valves. They'll be checking hydrants, flushing hydrants in the summer. Um, but our, our, our goal is for you never to notice uh, that there might have been an issue with something. You know, we will have issues that pop up every week that need to be troubleshot and resolved. Um, 99.9% of those never reach the point of a critical item because we take care of it quickly and efficiently uh, without it becoming an issue. What does maintenance look like in, you know, you've got all these moving parts of, you know, wastewater, of distribution, of tanks, of, I mean, I don't know if you know how many miles of pipe are in the ground, but you don't- 17 about 17 miles of pipe. You don't think about that inside of a city limit that there's pipes everywhere at any time one of them can crack or leak or break or... So what does maintenance look like for the city of Lenox? Uh, You know, it's... You know, the first thing I would say is that it is hard for small communities to get this right. Um, Because most people are reacting to something that happens, not being proactive in how they look at it. Yep. And we're we're at a mixture of both right now in Lenox. Okay. Um, You know, when uh, when I had uh, started here four years ago, uh, we wanted to make it a priority to get ahead of stuff. Uh, and so we're still reacting to some things. There's still some problems out there we need to solve. Uh, but we've taken a concerted effort to get ahead of problems. Um, and, you know, small communities um, they oftentimes don't have the money or don't feel that they have the money uh, to take care of those problems proactively. And so you're, you're always behind the eight ball. You're always reacting to a problem. Main breaks happen. Um, and they'll, they'll happen in any community, regardless of how well you take care of it, because they, they just do. Uh, but there are, there's so many more things that go into that planning. You know, we're, we're planning an essential basin four project right now. Um, some of it's got relatively new water on that project that won't have to be replaced. Water means it won't have to be replaced. Some of it's going to be too shallow now. It's going to be within that frost zone. We've got to lower it. You have to do those things or you have these main breaks right. 8, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Um, so that, that maintenance is probably the most important thing that we do is regularly checking our, our equipment, all of our assets, making sure that it's up to snuff. When it isn't, making sure that we have a plan to bring it up to, to where it needs to be, uh, getting it to par. So um, it takes a lot of money um, and sometimes it takes a lot of unplanned money. Uh, so, you know, if we had, um, last winter, I think it was actually the week of Christmas, we had a main break on, on first Avenue here. Um, that's a lot of money when you got to call out someone to locate it. Uh, then you got to call out somebody to dig it up and replace it. 
then you got to replace the street and the curb and gutter that you tore out to make it happen. That gets to be a pretty pricey repair. Um, again, main breaks are going to happen in every town, regardless of how well stuff is taken care of. But the better you plan for it, like making sure that your stuff is very deep enough, um, the less likely they are. Let's talk about your tanks because that's kind of the business that McGuire is in. What does that look like when you're taking care of an asset like water tanks? Because we talk to our customers all the time, and a lot of times they don't realize that in Lennox's case, you have two elevated spheroid tanks. That's probably one of the most expensive assets that you have in your water system outside of if you have a water plant or a wastewater plant. It is our most expensive asset by far, Um, but probably our best investment as well. Um, You know, and and there's, uh, I'm not going to, there, there's been a lot of debate about whether we need one or two uh, in the community and uh, on our council. So I won't get into that at all. That, that's, that's for somebody else to decide. I will say this, though. Uh, with two, you are prepared for growth. Uh, and you probably purchased it at a, at a cheaper price than you would tomorrow. So uh, there are benefits to it. But yeah, having, having that elevated storage, um, there are two pieces to that. We, we obviously contract with McGuire to do regular maintenance on it, cleaning, painting, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, these are things that are highly technical in nature, um, fairly dangerous business, uh, that, uh, we are not equipped, trained, or, um, or have the workers comp coverage for, I'll put it that way. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, we, we can't send guys down in tanks. That's just not something we can do. Uh, and so that's something we depend on McGuire on, uh, to do for us. One of the things that you guys have is a full service maintenance plan where, you know, every year it gives you a budget number. How important is that in a city like you talked about where you're 2,500 people, you're trying to take care of all this? How important is a city administrator is it to go, okay, this is the number in the budget oh. and here are the services <laughs> that I get for that money? Yeah. I, I There are very few things I'm certain of going into a budget. Um, you know, uh, even wages, we 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 yeah, state law. We have to set our budget back in August and September. Has has things happened in the economy since then? Right, right. I mean, the, even if you talk about inflation, uh, wages, even you know, right. we, we don't set our wages until tonight at our city council meeting tonight. Um, no, we budget certain wages, right? But changes happen between then and now that fluctuate. So um, there, there's almost nothing we're sure of going into a budget unless it's contracted. And this is, this is one of the services we're contracted on is a service agreement. We know how much we're paying every year for this service. And what you're getting. Yes. We know exactly what to expect financially and work-wise. Uh, and it's just one of those things that we... I'm not going to say we don't have to worry about it because it's a lot of money. Right. But it, it's a known value. Well, we know how much we're going to spend for this. And one of the things, too, is you get a report that keeps you state compliant. I, I think a lot of people also forget the compliance part. Like they open their faucet and go, oh, I have clean water. But the state actually comes to the city and says, you have to meet all of these requirements. Tell us about these things. Yeah. To, to, stay, to keep the water system running. Yeah. Every year. Uh, that's publicly available, just like, just like most of our reports are. Uh, but it's probably, it, it's one of the reports that gets glossed over by, I bet, everybody. Uh, but it's probably the most important important report we get uh, out there because uh, this this is what maintains your family's health. You talked about having two tanks in the system, and we we won't dive into the the yes or no should we do that. <laughs> but also, I wanted to talk about you know the city of Lenox being close enough to Sioux Falls is seeing growth. You have manufacturers in town. You have yep. new homes going up. 
What does that process look like when you're talking water and wastewater and how do we grow and how do we do these things? Because infrastructure is expensive and you don't really see the benefit until after the money is spent. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the issues we're talking about right now is industrial expansion. How do we do this? Uh, How do we pay for it? First of all, Um, how do we manage that debt until industrial user X gets here and starts using and and paying on it? Um, You know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg problem. It is. It is. And there, there's no right answer to it. You could have an industrial user come here and say, we need, to, we need water at this volume for X many hours a day. Okay, uh, we got to figure out a way to get it there. Or we can just get it there and figure out the industrial user part later. It, there is no right answer. It happens both ways and it happens effectively both ways. So, uh, But having, having the infrastructure in place uh, ahead of time sure does help. Uh, you know, and, and when we're looking at economic development, we need to be able to, number one, provide enough water and wastewater treatment, uh, in which we've got plenty. We, we, we have uh, 440,000 gallons a day available uh, from Lewis and Clark and signed on for an additional about 160 uh, on the Lewis and Clark expansion that'll be coming up in the next few years. So we've got plenty of water available, plenty of treatment available. They both match after that expansion. Uh, but having the stuff in place to make it work well, that, that's a bigger trick. Um, you know, there, we've got a number of lift stations in town, for example. Uh, where, where that industrial land is located makes a huge difference in how much it's going to cost me to get water from there. Not so much to there, but definitely from there. Uh, so we've, we've asked the state for you know, help on um, a couple of trunk lines, sewer trunk lines, that would eliminate all but one of our lift stations, uh, which, of course, saves big maintenance dollars down the road. Um, but having that stuff in place means that we can market ourselves. And so we're, we're at this in-between point where we really have started that growth phase now, uh, you know, 50, 50 to 60 new homes built here in the last year. Which is huge in a community this size. Yeah. Yeah. The first three years I was here, I could count on one hand, the number of homes that were built. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, we, we open up this new development and it's filling up. Um, now we worked with a developer to make that happen. Uh, but we work very closely with them to make that happen in well, a way that works. Because there's a lot the of coordination ha- that has to happen yes. from an infrastructure yeah. standpoint. Elevations, uh, pressures, uh, valve locations, hydrant locations, all, all that stuff. You know, we've got certain things laid out in our design standards, but there's um, logistical things that we make adjustments to with them. You know, well, this valve, I'd prefer to have it 30 feet further down here because of this reason. May sound like a non-issue to most people, but it's incredibly important to us to make sure that when you know if we've got to shut water off in a block, where that valve is located is very important to how long you're shut down. Uh, and so that that's one of those things we try to get right. But yeah, it, it, we're able to market ourselves as a growing community, uh, not only because we are, but because we've set ourselves up for that growth. We've prepared for it. We've planned for it. Um, we knew it was coming at some point, and that's that. That's just the carrots of. of of making it happen. You know, you, you guys have been really progressive. It sounds like in how you're planning and what that looks like. Talk about Lewis and Clark a little bit. This is, this is a little different than most people have. Um, it's a rural water system that's bringing water from, um, just outside of the Missouri river to communities all over, you know, Southeast South Dakota and Northwest Iowa. Why was it so important early on for the community to say, this is a thing we need to do? Because you said you had wells before, which can go bad or can go dry. What, why is it so important that you're hooked up to Lewis and Clark? You know, I, I, there's a number of benefits that come from it. I think, you know, 
I think the short term is that you have 30 members sharing the cost of operating the system, keeps the cost of operation low. Which is the treatment part of it. Yes. Yep. Uh, Treatment, if if we were all treating our own water, and some of these communities are blending, they're still treating some Mm -hmm. of theirs with, and and then blending it with Lewis and Clark water. But if we were all blending our own water, we'd probably have double the staff to make it happen in terms of, you know, um, how many people we have to have around to do it. Uh, With one treatment system, well, shoot, we treat it all down there in Vermilion and send it up the pipeline. And uh, you're, you're eliminating an awful lot of duplication of le- effort uh, for essentially what is the same product. Uh, and I think that's the real draw of Lewis and Clark. Um, though there's ways that Lewis and Clark is set up that as another draw. You know, we all have the same speaking power and voting power. Uh, so Lennox at 2,500 residents has the same vote on matters on Lewis and Clark that Sioux Falls does at 200,000 residents. Uh, that, that says something about how we set this up as a very democratic system uh, where no one has you know, an overarching say. Uh, but yeah, you know, 30 members um, 30 years ago this year uh, saw um, an emerging need uh, in the region. Uh, and at, at 30 years ago, I was living in Sioux Center, who's also a member. They're going to get water this year. Uh, and I, you know, when I was started working for Senator Harkin in, in Sioux City, Iowa, back in 2003, this was already one of the top issues in the region. Uh, and, and still is, it's not done yet. <laughs> you know, 30 years later, the, the project still isn't complete. Right. Uh, and they're already starting to talk about phase two. Yes. Yep. We're already expanding. <laughs> we're already talking about expansion. Uh, so Madison still needs water. Uh, I think, uh, you know, like Worthington, Sheldon places Hall, over there. Yeah. Sioux center. Yeah. So every, you know, Southwest Minnesota communities too. Uh, so it, it, it's, a it was incredibly, it, it was way ahead of its time and boy, are we glad it was. Because if we were, if we were even ten years further down the road, uh, if this discussion had started ten years later, uh, I don't know where we'd be. I don't know where Sioux Falls would be. Um, T in Harrisburg, uh, you, know, you look twenty years ago, thirty years ago at Harrisburg, they were a couple hundred in population, and uh, now we're well, probably upwards of ten thousand some, I, I assume. Um, that's not something you can really plan for. Well, and and if you've got your own wells, now you've got to provide water to, you know, 20 times more people. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't think it, it's, it's not sustainable. And I think this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about having that plan and looking forward and providing that infrastructure and essential services that nobody thinks about. But when something like this comes together for a city like Lenox, it's made all the difference in how you can grow and how you can do things because of it. It's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Like the fact that we have um, water that's uh, frankly easier to treat than our well water would have been. Um, It's cheaper. And uh, I don't know, everybody knows it tastes great because it wins the award every year. It does. It wins the award at Rural Water every year. At least one of the cities that has it wins the award. (laughs) We're always a little bit jealous because you know a neighboring community will win it with the same water. The same water, yeah, it just came past us. How is it not the same? (laughs) So we talked about Lewis and Clark. We've talked about the expansion. One of the things you know, we talked about your one employee, Kyle. Talk about the training certifications. People don't realize that either. If when you have somebody on staff, this has to be somebody who's trained and keeps up on their credit hours and does all this stuff to be able to do what he does. 
you know, it's, uh, it's, it's different for every community based on what level of, uh, especially wastewater treatment they have or water treatment. Uh, but we have, um, you know, Kyle has to have four certifications. Uh, he, he needs, he still needs to have a treatment certification, which is just a little odd, but we do have to have that. Um, but we have a water distribution certification, uh, wastewater collection and wastewater treatment certifications. Those take years to get, especially a, a class three that we have to have. Uh, that, that's not something that just happens. You can't just find that guy on the street anywhere. No, no. In fact, uh, we did not find Kyle on the street anywhere. It was quite an effort to get him actually. Um, uh, you know, there are not that many class three facilities in South Dakota in the first place and maybe, maybe a dozen tops. Uh, so you're talking a very limited pool of applicants, uh, and, uh, very few applicants that are actually searching in South Dakota for that type of work. Uh, and so, um, you know, you're for a class three license, wastewater treatment license, for example, you're talking several years of experience. Um, usually some college education, uh, unless somebody's been grandfathered in, uh, but these guys are running a lab. I mean, that, they, that, that's what they spend their morning doing. They, they're they're doing tests on how much dissolved oxygen is in the wastewater. They're testing regularly uh, at certain locations in town for the presence of bacteria in your drinking water. Uh, they're monitoring uh, temperature in everything all day long, uh, you know, and, and pressures and you name it. These guys are watching everything uh, and they have to do it exactly the way the state says it has to be done. Yeah, because there's regulations. Right. And so we, we've been really uh, proud to say for two years, we, we've not had a single permit violation at all of any of our permits. Um, and ha- had you come here three or four years ago, that we'd have a hard time saying that. Just because of how our you know how much water we are taking in. And I, this is that I&I issue we were talking we'll about We'll gloss earlier. over it quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we are taking in so much extra you know, ground and rainwater into mm-hmm. our sanitary sewer system that our, our system get overwhelmed oh, right. and we have to discharge. Um, well, every time you do that, you get a nasty gram from the state, which you should, right. you know, no, I, I expect to get those. Um, and they've been great to work with us on, on coming into compliance. So, uh, but yeah, these guys are, are, are something else. You find, uh, you find any of these guys with certifications, you, you hold on to them. Uh, Kyle, um, found in Minnesota, actually, um, the, uh, it was the first week of COVID and, uh, I, I had set up the, the interview previously. I was going to drive up to Minneapolis. We're going to interview and, you know, have dinner. I was going to drive back the next morning and two days before I'm going to go up there, everything in Minneapolis shuts down. I mean, everything, no restaurants are open. All the hotels are closing. Like, Great. Now what? I need this guy. And I needed him like three months ago because the state only gives you so many months to get somebody. And, uh, turns out Hudson, Wisconsin was still open. So we ended up meeting, uh, in a hotel lobby in Hudson, Wisconsin and, uh, four floor, four floor, multi, multi-room hotel. I was the only person there. I've never seen 35 so empty. You know, the whole, it was just, it was just odd. Uh, but yeah, uh, six, three months later, here he was and yeah, uh, rocking it. I guess the moral of the story is make sure to say thank you in your community to the water and wastewater operators because they're invaluable to the services that we all take for granted. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know that it, when you do have a problem, they will be there. Um, our goal is for you to never notice that there was a problem, uh, you know, and uh, for there to never be any, any issues 
and, and, and so on and so forth. It's just like any other utility, MidAmerican, Excel, you name it. We operate exactly the same way. All right, Nathan, I appreciate you taking the time and helping us understand how a community works with their water and wastewater. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. Take care. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast. Mm-hmm.